0: if you grab your Bibles this morning and open them up to the book of Psalms, and we're going to be in Psalm 145 this morning. Psalm 145. So hear the word of our God, Psalm 145, starting in verse 1. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall command your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty, and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness, and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them food in due season. You open your hand and you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord, and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Oh, Father, we come before you now, having read Psalm 145, and we desire to have a heart like David's here We want to be a people who know you, truly know you, meditating on your glory and wonder. We want to be a people who respond in praise, extolling your name. We want to be a people, ultimately like David, who pray, let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. And so, Father, we ask, would you do that to us? Would you do a work now by your spirit as the word is being preached to change our hearts and our minds so that we would serve you as we ought to serve you? And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. This morning, I want to talk a bit about evangelism. So evangelism is the work of what? It's the work of proclaiming the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the work of proclaiming the news about Jesus, his kingdom, his death, his resurrection, his coming, his person, his name. And when you look at the DNA of what a church is, and what Jesus calls the church to be, at the the very center of the calling of the church is this work to make the name of Jesus known. And not only the church corporately, as we think about ourselves gathered together as a people, But this is the calling of every single Christian. We find this emphasis labored in the New Testament. For example, Matthew chapter 28, Jesus leaves us with these words. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And similar words are repeated in the beginning of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus tells his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so we see clearly in the New Testament as Jesus speaks to the church, that the church has this job of making Jesus' name Known. But this is not just a New Testament thing, this is a, a whole Bible thing. All of Scripture calls us to give witness to our God. In fact, some of the most helpful texts on the work of making Jesus' name known comes from the Old Testament, and that's where I want to take you this morning. I want to take you to the Old Testament to think about evangelism. So we've read Psalm 145, and I think we can summarize Psalm 145's message with, with two sentences so the first sentence is this, those who know God, worship God. Those who know God, worship God. And the second sentence builds off the first sentence. So the first sentence, those who know God, worship God. Second sentence, those who worship God, desire that others would worship him too. So there we have these two sentences, and I think they summarize Psalm 140. Five and at the beginning of this sermon, I want to do some application because these two sentences summarizing the psalm are sentences that probe us. So I want to give you a question of self-assessment this morning, New Year's Day. Here's the question: Do you desire that others would know and worship Jesus? Do you desire that others would know? And worship Jesus. And before you answer that question, you need to to run through a few diagnostic questions. So try this question on. How often do you pray for those who do not know Jesus? Is it once a month or maybe once a week or is it every day or have you ever done something like that? Do you pray for, for people, individuals who do not know Jesus? Another question to try on, are you prepared to tell others about Jesus? Do you have the gospel straight in your mind? Can can you tell the gospel in in five minutes to someone or maybe even two minutes to someone? Do Do you have an outline in your mind where it's clear? God, man, sin, Jesus. Can you do that? Do you have resources ready to share with others if a conversation happens? Do you have a Bible or a book or a sermon that you're ready to give to to produce more conversation? Are you prepared to tell others about Jesus? Or try this question on. Are you invested in telling others about Jesus? So if you look at the calendar on your phone and as you, you look through all the things going on in your life and you're trying to manage it all, does this work of telling others about Jesus, is that, is that priority reflected in your, your calendar or, or think about your wallet or your checkbook or however you manage your money, is, is that reality a priority in your finances or, or as you think about your home and you practice hospitality, you share your dinner table with people, is that priority of telling others about Jesus reflected in, in, in who you invite into your house? Or, or how often do you speak about Jesus to those who do not know Jesus? Do you talk about Jesus with, with folks who don't know Jesus? Is that something you, you do? And so here's the question of self-assessment. Do you desire that others would know and worship Jesus? And my prayer is that while you mull over that question of self-assessment, that the Word of God would do two things for you from Psalm 145. First, I pray that the word of God would give you clarity about the own status of your soul. I think that's what God is going to do as we look at Psalm 145. Is there no desire in your soul to tell others about Jesus? Well, that means something about you. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, once said, not mincing a word, he said, have you no wish for others to be saved? Then you are not saved yourself. Be sure of that. Or is your desire weak and low and and dull to tell others about Jesus? It's there, but the flame isn't very high or strong or or large. Well, that means something else about you. It means you need a, a revitalization in your soul. Or is that desire strong and growing? It's there and present and it's increasing. Well, that also means something about you. It means that you need to keep growing and advancing. And second, I pray that the word of God would give you exactly what you need this morning. So whether you need to be fed this morning, whether you need to be revitalized this morning, whether you need to be awakened for the first time to see God, I pray that the word of God through Psalm 145 would do that and supply exactly what you need. So with that, let's go to Psalm 145 and explore God's word So there's always a source of energy that makes something run, whether it's your car or your home. There's something giving life to it, whether it's gas or electricity. And so we ask, well, what is the fuel for evangelism? What is the fuel to to tell others about Jesus? And the answer we see in Psalm 145 is the knowledge of God. And so that's the beginning of our first sentence, those who know God. And as you look at Psalm 145, you see Psalm 145 is all about God, and David isn't bashful or or shy. Verse after verse, David sings about God from the very beginning of the psalm to the end. David's focus is on the Lord. And so what does David know about his God, and what must we know about this God we find in Psalm 145? Well, David declares to us right away the identity of this God. In verse 1, he sings, I will extol you, my God, the king, and bless your name forever and ever. So who is God, according to David? God is king, and not just any sort of king. What kind of king is he? He is the king, the one and only true king. While men claim authority on this earth to rule and reign over others, the Lord is the true and sovereign monarch. And as we look at Psalm 145, this God's reign permeates the whole song. This God is no normal king. Kings and rulers come and go. History is littered with with rulers. Great kings have died, men have come and gone. However, this king we meet here has, has no end. Verse 13 says, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. His kingdom will never end and his rule knows no limits. We see kings, even in our present day, and they have power. But they all have limits to their power. No one man or no one nation has ruled over the entire world. No man has conquered every single person and subjected them to himself. But the Lord is not like the rulers of the world. His power is not limited. Verse 11 shouts, They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power. Even more, this king is different than the rulers of this world rulers, they use their power for what? They use their power often for selfish ends, abusing their power for their own self. They they build themselves up and they destroy others. But here is the Lord. His kingdom rules forever, but what is his kingdom like? He is righteous and kind in all of his works. Verse 17 says, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. So what does David know about this God? He says, he is the king. And what must we know about this God? We must know he is the king, the king over all. And David goes on. Well, what else are we to say about this God? Well, David tells us that this God is great. And this is the praise throughout the song. Verse three, David sings, great is the Lord and and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. We see here David is pushed to his his verbal limit. God's greatness is so great that it is unsearchable, meaning you cannot fathom it or contain it or grasp it. You can go on an expedition trying to search out the, the ends and the depths of God's greatness and you will never find the end or the bottom to it. It is unsearchably great. And this is how scripture describes God all of the time. He is great. And perhaps one of the greatest passages in the Bible, Isaiah chapter 40, Isaiah speaks of God like this, verses 21 through 23. Isaiah arguing with the people who are slow and dull. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundation of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of earth as emptiness. Isaiah goes on in verse 28. He he says, continuing to argue with the people who are dull and slow to understand. He says, have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. And so what does David come to know about his God? He has come to know that he is great. And so great is his greatness is that it is unsearchable. And what must we know about our God? Oh, he is great. And his greatness is unsearchable. But David goes on. He doesn't stop here. He is king, and he is not only great, but he is also glorious, meaning that he is wonderfully beautiful. David says this in verse 5, on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. David is attempting to describe the beauty of God. And he cannot contain himself. Do you see what he's doing here? He's piling word upon word upon word. He takes glory, and glory isn't sufficient, so he takes splendor and puts it on top of glory, and that's not sufficient, so he takes the word majesty and, and piles it on top of splendor and glory. And, and David is grasping to find as many good words as he, he can to, to describe God, and even with that, he's, he's not content because this God is so utterly unique and beautiful and glorious. This is teaching us something. This God that we find in Psalm 145 is not a God who is drab or, or dull or boring. Rather, this God has a depth to him. He has, he has weight to him. There are riches and riches to be discovered in beholding him. And this is who God is. Above all, he is a God of glory and splendor and majesty. And so what has David known of his God. He knows this. He is a glorious God full of splendor and majesty. And what must we know about this God? He is a God of glory and splendor and majesty. But David isn't done yet. He goes on yet more. So God is transcendent, we, we see it. He is the, the great king, the only king, the sovereign monarch of the earth and he's high and lifted up and he dwells in this glory, this brightness, this splendor, this majesty and his, his greatness is unsearchable. We cannot fathom him but, but we need to know more. This God is also kind and good. Listen to David as he sings about God and you can sense that there's a particular sweetness to this. Verses eight and nine. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. Or go down to verse 14, David sings, The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. Or verse 18, The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call upon him in truth. So we get this transcendent God, but but David goes on and he is telling us this God who is transcendent doesn't sit idly by in the heavens. What is this God doing? He's intervening in the affairs of fallen humanity. What has he done? He is a God who makes covenants with, with sinful men and women, promising them his love, his mercy, his kindness. I will be your God and you shall be my people He's a God who draws near to his people that he has covenanted with, and he helps them. Those who are falling, what does God do? He, he upholds them. Those who are, are bowed down, what does he do? He raises them up. Those who call upon him, what does he do? He is near to them, and he, he saves them. Here is a God who is kind and good, and that is what David has learned about his God. What must we know about this God? He is kind and good. So we see that Psalm 145 is all about God, and there's an application for us. Christian, here's the application. You must know your God. Know him and, and meditate upon him. Study him. Focus the eye of your soul upon him, for he is your great joy. David does it here, and that's what we are to do. And so that's The beginning of the first sentence, those who know God, and now we ask, we're we're seeing this God for who he is, as revealed in Psalm 145, and we ask now, what happens when we know this God, when this knowledge penetrates our hearts? Well, no one can walk away from knowing this God unchanged and unaffected. It's not possible. If you have tasted of the steadfast love of the Lord, if you have tasted of mercy and his kindness, if you know his compassion... If you have sat with David and have meditated upon his splendor and glory and majesty, making it your op- occupation to, to see God for who he is as he is revealed in Scripture, you cannot walk away unaffected. Because the true knowledge of God explodes into the worship of God. And This is what we find in Psalm 145. David knows God and what happens to his soul as he knows God. Look at verses 1 through 3. David says this, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Just take stock of those three verses. What words do you notice there in those three verses? Well, right away, we, we notice the word extol. David says, I will extol you, my God and king. What does that mean, to extol God? Well, it means something like this, to, to lift up the name of God above every other name, to, to lift up God as our good above every other good, to lift up God above everything else. And that is what David is doing. He's saying, I will lift you up, my God and king. And then there's another word. David says this, Every day I will bless you. What does that mean? Well, I think it means something like this. Every day David is committing to adore God. So every day David will wake up and he will set God before him and he will bless him, adoring him. And then there's the word praise. Praise. He is greatly to be praised. Or down in verse 21, my mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. And and what does that mean? It means that, that David can't keep quiet about what he knows of God and what he is feeling in his heart. He must verbalize his affections of the Lord. And so he will praise the Lord. And these words are so helpful to meditate on as we think about knowing God. Extol, bless, praise This is what the knowledge of God does in the heart of a man or a woman. The knowledge of God doesn't simply sit around idly in the head, taking up space. They aren't facts to be memorized. But instead, the knowledge of God, as it's it's taken in from Scripture, invades the heart. And then the heart stirs up the affections. And then from the affection, it erupts worship to the Lord. And we see it taking place in David. He sees the Lord, and as he sees the Lord, it's affecting his heart. And then it comes out of his heart as praise. I will extol. I will bless. Let me praise. And so we're making our way through these two sentences. We've got the first sentence under our belt. What happens when we know God? Well, we worship him. And now we can move into the second question. Well, what happens when we worship God? So we've got the knowledge and we see how knowledge gives birth to, to, to worship. Now, what does worship do? Well, the answer is this worship gives birth to a desire that we might tell others about this God, that they might worship him too. So, according to David, the knowledge of God, the worship of God, and witness and proclamation about God are all bound together. One gives birth to another and then gives birth to another, they cannot be, be separated. Just look at verses five and seven. David says this. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. So I wanna make a few connections here so that you see how all of these realities are tied together. So David says this. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. What is David saying? He is saying this. Father God, I am going to consciously do this work. I'm going to set my mind upon you and your splendor and your majesty. Even more, I'm going to consider all of the great things you have done throughout redemptive history. How you created the world. How you, how you called Abraham. How you rescued Israel, how you've worked in my own life. I'm gonna gonna set my mind and think about all of those things. And what's the result of that? What happens when David meditates upon God and all that God has done? Well, David says this look at the text I will declare your greatness. I will declare your greatness. And this is no private act of worship. David is compelled to go public with what he knows of God. He must declare it or he will burst. He must, he must shout out the glories of his God. Others must know about this God because he is indeed so great. And so we see this connection in David's own heart and life. As David deals with the knowledge of God, he knows God, he worships God, and then he starts to proclaim God. And the connection is there in these verses another time with the people of God. So we see it in verse 7. What happens when the people of God know God? Verse 7 says this. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness. That's such an interesting phrase to think about. David says, pour forth. That's what the people of God are going to do when they know their God truly. They're going to pour forth the fame of his abundant goodness. Now, when you think of that phrase, pour forth, don't think of a a stream or a brook just flowing gently along, something that you'd want to sit down by and read a book and take a nap. Rather, I think a a better image in your mind would be taking a two-liter bottle of pop and then shaking that two-liter bottle of pop, and then what happens when you, you shake it? You just crack that seal a little bit, and what happens? Pop just starts shooting out in every direction, I think that's what David has in mind, that the people of God are are so filled with the knowledge of God, and that knowledge of God so affects their hearts and stirs them up that they begin to, to worship, and that worship begins to spill out everywhere in every direction as they pour forth the fame of the abundant goodness of God. And this is so helpful to think about. When Jesus calls us to make disciples of all nations in Matthew 28 or calls us to be his witnesses, as in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, he doesn't want want us to be a bunch of joyless drones going about the work. Well, Jesus has called me to be a witness, so I'm going to be a witness. I'm just going to get it done. He's called me to make disciples, so I'm just going to get the job done. That's not what we see here. Rather, Jesus has in mind a people who have tasted the abundance, abundant goodness of God and are not just are, are ready and not just ready to share it, but are, are willing and desirous to, to, to spread the fame of God's goodness everywhere and to every one. As we think about ourselves, this is how God has made us to be. We share what we love. We always do this. You can think of something just mundane, like you have a really good rack of ribs what do you do after you do that? You, you share that. You, you want to say, hey, I got the best ribs over there. It was awesome. Or think about when your football team wins. Your football team wins and what do you start doing? You start bragging about it. Look at my team. Look what they've done. They are great. We just naturally do it. Or, or think about you buy a new car and you're enjoying your car. What do you start doing with your friends? You start bragging up that car, the, the brand, the, the make, all of it. And this is what we see taking place in verse seven. David says, they shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. They have tasted God, they have enjoyed God and they cannot help but to to pour forth like a, a, a bottle of pop shaken up, just pouring forth the fame of God's goodness everywhere. And David talks about this again and again in Psalm 145, verse four. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Verse 11, verse 12, they shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. And this theme comes to a head in what I think is the most important verse in Psalm 145, the last verse. Verse 21, David says this, my mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Let's just put this together in our mind, the whole of Psalm 145. David is meditating on the Lord and we see him doing it in Psalm 145. He's calling to mind the Lord. He is the great king. His greatness, it's unsearchable. His mercy, his kindness, I remember it. And what does this do? Well, David erupts into worship. He says this, my mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. I am dedicating myself to worship and I will not be moved from it. But then what does worship give life to? We see it here. We can just picture this in our minds. Here is David worshiping the Lord and what does he do? It's as if he, he wraps his arms around all the peoples of the earth and then he lifts them up to God and he prays, let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. What happens when you worship the Lord? That's what happens when you truly worship the Lord. Let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. So there we have Psalm 145. And I hope you can see that the two sentences at work in this psalm, the first sentence is, those who know God worship God. And I hope you can see how the second sentence builds off of that first sentence. Those who worship God desire that others would worship him too. Now, I want to go back to our self-assessment question. The word is doing its work, and now we need to probe around in our hearts again. Do you desire that others would know and worship Jesus? Well, what do you say in light of Psalm 145? Better yet, what is God saying to you in and through Psalm 145? Now, you might be saying all sorts of things, but I want to deal with three different answers you might be giving this morning. And I want to give you some application. So maybe the first answer that you've come up with this morning as someone forty five is doing its work might be this. Well, I I don't have any desire to tell others about Jesus. And really I don't have any desire that others would worship Jesus. It's not there in my heart. I don't see it anywhere. Well the truth is that answer indicates something about you. It means this you do not know the God of the Bible. We can just work through the logic of these two sentences because the logic is teaching us. Those who know God do what? They, they worship God, and those who worship God desire that others would worship him too. Let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. And so, if that's you and that's your answer, well, what do you need today? Well, you need to know the God of the Bible. How might you do that? I'd encourage you today to take verse five. David says this. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. I'd encourage you to take verse five today and make it your own. Determine today, make a vow today in your mind that you will seek the true knowledge of God, that you will set it before your eyes as revealed in scripture, and you will pursue it without end. And while you make that vow, you must also pray. Oh, God, would you open my eyes so that I would be able to see you for who you truly are. So if that's your answer, determine today to make verse 5 your own while praying that God would open your eyes. And I want you to do it with, with courage, knowing that God is going to meet you there. Because Jesus says this in John 4, 23. These are glorious words. Jesus says, the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Why? For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Make verse five your own. Call upon God asking that he would open your eyes knowing that the Father is seeking people to worship him. So that's the first answer you might give. A second answer you might give is this. Well, my, my desire to tell others about Jesus, my desire that others would worship Jesus, it, it's dull and low and weak. It's there, but it's, it's not healthy. And you feel guilty about it and you're troubled about it. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means something about you. It means at root, if we're working through the logic of these two sentences, it means that your spiritual vision of God If your desire to tell others about Jesus is weak and low and dull, it means that your vision of God, your spiritual vision of God, is weak and dull and low. And so what do you need to do today about that? Well, the first thing, if you're feeling guilty about it, is you take that guilt to the Lord and get your sins forgiven. But after that, you you need revitalization, and this requires something of you. What does it require? You must return to the practices where God has promised to meet you. You want your desire to grow here. What do you must do? You must commit to the practices where God has promised to meet you and show his glory to you. Well, what does that look like? Well, it means to commit yourself to Sunday morning worship and sitting under the preaching of the word. God has promised to meet his people through these means. It means to to commit yourself to to family worship if you have a a family because God is committed to to meeting you there in those means. It means to committing to to opening up your Bible every day and seeking the Lord through prayer because God will meet you through those means. Revitalization doesn't happen out of the blue. It isn't mystical or magical. God has promised to meet his people in the means of grace. and so If you want revitalization in your life, you need to go to the place where God meets you with those means. That means, what do we do? We commit ourselves to corporate worship and to family worship and to our own private worship. And we do this with faith and confidence because we get a promise. James 4, 8. It's a great verse. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Use the means of grace and use them with faith because God's going to meet you there and he's going to show him his self there. So that's the second answer you might give. The third answer you might give is this. Well, as I look at my heart, I do desire that others would know and worship Jesus. I I see it in my heart. I I desire it. It's not perfect. It's not always at at high RPMs, but it's there, it's constant, it's growing, it's stable. Well, what does this mean about you? It means this, if we're doing the logic It means that you're a worshiper of Jesus. Even more, it means you know the God of the scriptures. You should be encouraged this morning. If your desire for others to know Jesus there and growing stable and strong. It means something about you. Be encouraged. The spirit of God is at work in your heart and your life. God doesn't want us walking around in the dark. When we see the fruit of the spirit in our life, we should be encouraged and take assurance that God is working in and through us. But what do you need today? you need your desires sustained. David cried out in verse 21, let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. And he could do that. He could get to that point and speak those words with earnestness and boldness. Because why? Because his heart was refreshed and built up and sustained by the knowledge of God. What did David do throughout that psalm? He was reminding himself of who God was. He is my king. And what sort of king is he? He is this great king. His greatness is unsearchable. And then he talks about reminding himself of the love of God and the mercy of God and the goodness of God. You see what David is doing? He's going back to the well. And that's how he can sustain this desire. And this is how this desire gets born in his life. And so this is your call. Do you have this desire? You want to continue in that desire? You have to do what David did. You, you, you go back to the well and you, you drink again of it. You go back and you think about God's kingdom and his kingship, his rule and reign. You think about his mercy and his love and his, his greatness and his glory and his splendor. Because when we go back to the well and we drink again of God, we are sustained and built up. And So, do you desire that others would know and worship Jesus my prayer is that we as God's people this year would grow in our desire that others would know and worship Jesus. Let's pray towards that end. Father, we need Psalm 145. We're so thankful for this psalm because it sets before us your glory and wonder and might and beauty. We confess that we often forget, we often don't sit in verse 5 and meditate on your your glory and splendor. We meditate on other things. And that's why our hearts and our desires are so lull and dull. And we pray now, would you forgive us of all of our sins for Christ's sake? And would you renew our hearts? And would you renew them by showing us yourself? And would you grant us the grace that we might be able to stand and say with David, let all flesh bless your holy name forever and ever. We want to be that sort of people. Would you do it? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.